It's a new year and you're working to create a new you. Look no further than Fatima Gutierrez. Fatima is the in-person and virtual trainer you need. Yes, you have Peloton, Apple Fitness, Fabletics, etc., etc., but you don't get that one-on-one personal touch that you can get from Fatima, be it online nutrition coaching, training plans, and in-person personal training. Everything is completely customized to the individual. If interested, please visit Fatima at rosariumfitness.com. That's R-O-S-A-R-I-U-M fitness.com or at fatima.gutierrez at gmail. That's F-A-T-I-M-A dot D dot G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z at gmail for any questions. Welcome to PTG TV. This is your host, Antonio Hicks, a.k.a. Escaping the Matrix, back with my co-host, Miss Tamika Day, in a discussion about Stone Mountain Park and the push to remove Confederacy branding from the park itself. So for those of you who aren't from the great state of Georgia, because Georgia is a, a wonderful great state, Stone Mountain is a mountain located near the city of Stone Mountain, Georgia. It's a family park with, fam- it's a family, park with family attractions, which have been mostly recently added over the past 10 years because growing up, we didn't have a whole lot of uh, attractions there and I'm, I'm not going to say my age but uh, I'm, I'm kind of a little stone age and they have a historical landmark that depicts three confederate leaders Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson now I'm not going to go into the history of these three guys I'm just going to leave it up to you the listeners to do some research on that and find out who these losers are but joining us on this discussion is somebody that is very passionate about it who may speak on it is Mr. Brian Morris a man that has done his research who is working alongside the Stone Mountain Action Coalition and getting the streets renamed in the park that's named after these Confederate leaders and having a Confederacy flag removed before we uh, before the people go after those carvings and put up some true winners. So welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you again for appearing on. And if you want to give an introduction, I invite you to do so. Well, thanks for having me, Antonio. And Tamika, it's great to meet you as well. Um, my name is Brian Morris, and I'm a member volunteer with the Stone Mountain Action Coalition. And I've... Uh, met so many great people while doing these activities, trying to make sure people raise their awareness and and become educated as to what Stone Mountain Park really is. Um, It's not really a park, it's a memorial, it's a shrine to something that for all intents and purposes should not be there. And that is why I'm as involved as I am. And I look forward to just pulling more people into our coalition and really making some progress as difficult and as long as that may, t- may take in the great state of Georgia. So what what prompted you to even go after this? Well, first of all, it's, just, it's wrong. Uh, that, that's, that's the main reason why. But I've also with a lot of the changes that have happened since Charleston, um, Charlottesville, other things like that, the momentum has finally sort of shifted to an upward trajectory, I think, as far as removing all the Confederate symbols that the UDC was so effective in creating the first big lie or the first cancel culture back in the late 1800s and more predominantly in the 1915 to 1920 era. Um, so that's, that's why I'm involved, because 
we need to make changes. And um, it, it's come to a point where in states like Georgia, in the Deep South, that people are starting to have their voices heard. And I just want to be part of that process. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I mean, you're right about that because it's been around for a long time and it is deeply rooted in, in racist activities. I think we talked about it at the park itself because I, I remember times growing up and when I had my own families going to the park and they had Confederate reenactments there. And I, you know, I listened to everybody say, oh, the Confederacy wasn't about racism or about slavery. I'm like, but why is it that whenever I go to the park after the Confederate reenactment, I'm being threatened and I'm being called all kinds of racist names and told that if I don't leave, I'm going to get hung up. And this this really happened. This is not me fabricating anything. This happened there. Didn't happen at Kennesaw Mountain because Kennesaw Mountain still do Confederate reenactments. But yeah, they finally stopped it at Stone Mountain. So I do thank you all for pushing this. I don't know why it hasn't happened before, even when they elected their first black mayor there, why he really wasn't pushing to have the streets renamed. So thank you all for doing so. To make you like you have something to say. I'm taking a deep breath over here. <laughs> did I say something wrong? No, you did not. I One thing we can tell you about PTGV TV, we are really PTG TV. We are really passionate about, um, we grew up in the South. We're both from Macon, Georgia. That's our hometown. So we understand this cultural divide, right? And this big shift in this narrative. So as I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you talk about it, it's almost like it gets approved because it's you versus it being us. And that's really why my facial expression was looking like that. Because if you have a Caucasian man that says, hey, this is wrong. It's like, we want to hear it and we want to believe. Like even he thinks it's wrong. But when an African-American steps up to the plate and they say, hey, this is wrong. We've been telling you this for years. It's almost like it gets washed out. So sometimes I think, you know, just having you as a face to something that appears to be, that is so negative, it brings light to it in a different way than if Antonio and I were to say, hey, this is wrong. It becomes more personal, hurtful. It, it um, takes us back to our grandfathers and mothers and the things that we've heard about our ancestors. So that's why I kind of had that look on my face like, wow, it takes a whole nother cultural culture to really speak up about this in order for something to be done. So speak to that because you are a white man. You don't have to sit here and pretend it is what it is. So you being from a different race, um, you putting it out there, it does have a little bit more weight to it. And so thank you and we appreciate you. That's what I have to say. I will tell you that the, you know, the research I've done um, has been anything but uplifting. It is, it deeply saddens me. The more I learn and the more you peel back into what the real history seems mm -hmm. mm -hmm. like a man of what it, what it really was. And it wasn't, it was, it was this way when I was born. 50 years ago. It's not that long ago. And it's just, holy cow, you, you go through the archives of the Atlanta Inquirer and which I'm, which I'm in the process of doing, because really going through newspapers is the only way you can get sort of the real history, unfortunately, mm -hmm. as far as I've been able to tell the, the sort of the, the third person narrative in most history books is totally um, benign and doesn't, you don't feel the pain until you get a grainy black and white pictures from years ago. Um, and, you know, I've been trying to find um, anecdotal commentary from the African-American community back in the 60s when Stone Mountain was being sort of rebirthed. 
And you know what? There isn't any because you know why? Because there were so many other struggles going on that were so more important at that time that Stone Mountain was 20 miles away, but it could have been on another in another universe. Mm-hmm. Much, I mean, it's just sad. It's just really sad if you go back and you think about it. And that's partly why I'm, I get into, as involved as I am now. Yeah, because you have done a lot of research. I grew up in outside of Philadelphia. You said you didn't grow up in the South? Yeah, yeah I'm glad you didn't. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, like Tamika know, because I mean, both of us are making, like I tell a lot of people when people say, oh, well, you know, how many of your family members you know were affected by slavery because we do have a lot of immigrants come over here i said well i said well for me me personally down in macon we still have family that lives on the land that was given to us by the slave owners like they growing i think it wasn't until no the streets still haven't been paved we uh our generation was back from like 40 50, longer than that but yeah, they still had unpaved roads. The uh, even going to the house, they lived still living in the slave house. They had outhouses. They didn't have any hardly any running water coming into the house itself. The uh, church was located on the property, but they had to walk to the church. So I'm like, so for me, every time I go to visit my aunt, my great aunts that's there, you know, I get I'm a, I'm reminded that you know my family did come out of slavery. So when I go to this park and I see the signs there, and I know people want to have it taken down, but you like like Tamika said, our voices weren't being heard. But one thing I will say, and one thing has always been said, will always been is taking places that, you know, we can't get anything done unless we all work together. And that's why I do appreciate you for stepping in to do it. Because even during the civil rights movement, it wasn't just black people out there marching. We had a coalition of other races out there marching. And it really goes to show, you know, that other people recognize the struggle of other races. Because one thing I do always preach is what affects one will eventually affect you. So whether you want to believe it or not, you know, them trying to oppress us, it really eventually will come back to you, whether you want to believe that or not. I don't care if you white, Asian, Hispanic, or whatever. And we're starting to see that now from this past administration that just came out. And especially now with the attack on the Asian American community, it's a huge struggle taking place because it was like they were in a spotlight years ago, especially during World War II, when they had them locked up in concentration camps. And now because of the whole coronavirus thing with COVID-19, it really pushed them in again because now you're talking about, you know, the whole, I hate to even say it, the Kong flu. And now people are attacking the Asian community. So back to this, though, I really am glad that you are you you put in your legwork because he so Brian made a uh, historical map in an Excel spreadsheet. I wish would you share it? Like, would you open it up for other people to see it? Like he traced a ton of history on this this Excel spreadsheet. Do I have share capabilities with you? Oh, no, I'm just saying, like, to the public. No, 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 I'm not talking about, like, on the, the show. So I'm just saying, like, would you be willing to share it up? <laughs> and then, if I send it to you, we can share it on our platform. Yeah, we'll share it on our platform. But he did a ton of research going back to everybody that had anything to do with Stone Mountain. So if you can speak on that. Um, well, you know, I, I because there's such little true history on the mountain itself, I, and you just hear about sort of the Venable family and... Um, the UDC as sort of just being the only folks involved. And um, it, it's just, that's an untruth. And I wanted to, to prove that the people that built Atlanta were heavily engaged in this uh, endeavor um, and ultimately responsible for continuing to come back into the spotlight. I mean, you've got quotes from people like 
William Hartsfield, who everybody thinks was incredibly progressive, but he was well, well, <laughs> in his administration, he, he made various proposals as the city, the mayor of Atlanta, to get the thing going again. Um, that's one example. Um, the Woodruffs were involved. The Candlers were heavily involved. I mean, you, you can't get Coca-Cola to remove their logo uh, and their sponsorship of the, the park, of the memorial, even today. They won't talk to you about it. Um, they even they paid to have the Carillon from the World Fair in 1964 moved down to the park before its grand reopening. Um, the, the, the list of people who were huge, huge behind the formation of the biggest company in Georgia, Coca-Cola, were served on the SM. Back then, it was a Stone Mountain Confederation Confederate Memorial Association. Um, they took out Confederate in the 60s to make it a little bit more like Disney World. Um, but you, you, you have one of the most influential lawyers in Georgia history, Harold Hirsch, who was also the first general counsel of Coca-Cola, who was known to be a, a predominant um, philanthropist, especially within the Jewish committee, which served on the board. Um, it, it's just when you, you peel back that you just see, you find more and more of these people of huge influence that are responsible for the monstrosity. And my opinion is some of them need, you know, that these families need to be outed. It's just that simple. Brian, I want to ask you. Buildings doesn't mean you're, you're, you know, you can just walk away from some of the other stuff you did. Brian, I wanted to ask you, what is your background? As far as your professional background, what did you do professionally? What do you do? I'm just a banker. I'm a oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not a historian. So okay. there's no. You know, I, I did this all myself. There's. I, I probably didn't. Um, footnote it correctly and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I did, I, you know, Excel spreadsheet just started growing into something bigger and bigger the deeper I got into it. And you find out the relationships between folks. No, I mean, you deal with numbers. (laughs) Right. You're good with numbers, but you are an activist. And that's a lot of times what people, what we're trying to bring out of this show, that activist does not mean that you're walking around on television or you're down at the riot yelling and screaming. Sometimes you can just um, be an activist in your own community, in your own home, um, things that you advocate for your family, your kids, school, um, what's right, what's wrong. Um, sometimes we take it to mean, oh, I gotta be on CNN or I have to be on a big platform or a big show or I have to write articles in the newspaper. So you're helping us to understand that it just takes an idea or it takes something that you are against or something that you're for, do the research, really spend time, and then bring other like-minded people together who say, hey, I'm going to fight for what's right or what's wrong. So that's a good point of how to start doing something, you know, that matters. Right. And you don't necessarily have to be a historian because, I mean, I wasn't a historian growing a up. I, right. <laughs> right. I hated history when I was in school. I didn't become. Yeah, no, I did not like history when I was in school. It wasn't until I got into college. I like really fell in love with history because I started doing research. Because I, I mean, I was a nerd. So I was when I was a computer nurse, so I was looking at computer technology. But then when I really started getting to the root of programming and everything else and started digging through the history of that and seeing like a lot of the original programmers were women. So I was like, OK, what else the hell were they hiding out here? <laughs> they were blowing up. So that's when I really got heavily, heavily 
looking into historical data and our parks around our city and technology being made and who invented what. And so, no, you don't have to grow up being this, uh, like a politician or a historian, but it doesn't mean you can't go and research data and do the same thing. Like even when it comes to science, I mean, a book is a book. I'm like, you know, everybody had books in college. <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't go get that same book and read it and do the research yourself. You ever say something, Brian? I'm sorry. No, I was just, I was agreeing with you wholeheartedly. Um, I do have a question for the two of you since you're from Macon. Okay. What, what was your personal experiences with the sort of the whale hunting plantations, et cetera, down in that area of the South mm-hmm. growing up? Because it's, it's a loaded question because I want to hear what you have to say and then I want to see if you're aware of some of the things I've found out. Actually, those are things that's never talked about or discussed. Right. I'm 45 years old. You just kind of you just kind of exist and you just walk around like these things don't happen. And it's a very, very hush hush, kind of quiet. You tiptoe around who you are, who your family is. I come from a family that my great uncle who's still alive. Because sometimes when I say this, people are like, well, how long ago was that? No, my great uncle, who's 75, was the first African-American mayor of the city of Macon. So I was, I I would say, raised into politics more so. So you do what it takes in order to not step on anybody's toes. You become smart. You go to college. You educate yourself so that people don't think that you're from that area or that you're beneath or that you're less than. So I come from a middle-class African-American family from Macon, Georgia. That's not very popular. My mom was the first African-American director of nursing at the hospital. So when you come from those backgrounds, you're always walking on eggshells, kind of, sort of. You're the only black girl that play on the softball team who really plays softball. You live in an all-white neighborhood that eventually becomes African-American neighborhood because the white people start moving out. So you're always trying to rise above, um, not really say much. So I was the girl that always got in class, got in trouble in class for challenging my history teacher when she would give out the wrong information or when she would make um, racist comments when she's teaching us history. And a lot of the things in the book are very, they're not very popular, right? They don't sound good. But when she would just say really ugly and hurtful things, I'm the one that's challenging her, taking her to the office. So you just kind of, it's like we want that, we know that the history is there. We know that things happen. We know that you go to plantations and now they're like hotels and they're bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just, you just kind of tiptoe around it. And so that's a good point. You never really talk about it until you start to become an adult and you start doing your own research and you go back and start looking at your history and then you find out that a lot of the things that you kind of were around, you just keep trying to rise above the stereotype that come with being an African-American from it and you make it out. I'm going to ask you to educa- educate me on what you know. I know what he knows. <laughs> well, I'll keep going because oh. I apologize for my time constraints, but so we, we always talk about, you know, slavery ended you know, at the end of the Civil War. And, but we all know that that wasn't the term ended, that the, the description of, of the treatment of the African-Americans may have, the, the, the words used to describe that change, but the reality is it really didn't change a lot, if, if at all for most. At least that's what I've kind of found out or, or assumed or learned. 
Did you ever uh, hear of um, Carl Ware? That again? Carl Ware, his trial down in uh, Albany, Georgia? No. No. He, it, look, look into Carl Ware, but if, you know, Carl Ware was uh, accused of various crimes and accused is the word um, by the white sheriff in town. But because of it all, it all originated on a um, antebellum plantation outside of Albany. About 30, it's between, it was described as between 32,000 and 37,000 acres, old cotton plantation that had apparently been abandoned. Um, it was acquired in 1930 by Robert Woodruff, and he uh, ran it as an antebellum-style plantation. Um, and there's footage from his own home videos he took on the Emory University archives that reflect um, the way <laughs> the place ran. And we're talking 1940s. It, it was not. We're not talking just sharecropping. We're just. It's just all the bosses were white. All the employees were African-Americans. Um, they were, you know, supposedly treated well, but it was almost an indentured servitude. It was just a proliferation of what had happened in the 1700s and 1800s. And this was owned by who, you know, people describe as the most prolific um, philanthropists in Atlanta, if not the state of Georgia. But that, but that somehow was okay, or it, it is okay. And now it's like a research center now. Um, you can't get on the property without getting approached very quickly. It's just little things like that just irritate and get, get me going. Um, but if you have a chance um, and you, find, you can find the Robert Woodruff tab on my spreadsheet, watch the video, um, read about it. It's, um, it's just, again, it's sad. So as we wind down, I do want to invite you back, and I want to invite you back with Miss Mae Morris of the Stone Mountain Action Coalition, because I know you're on a time constraint and you have to uh, get ready to go. But one thing I do ask of my guests, and it's entirely voluntary, you don't have to do it, because we're... we're <laughs> you have to do it. It's not optional. Because there's so much anger and, and animosity going around nowadays from, from the media and from all platforms, we ask that our guests leave a word of encouragement or some positivity to our viewers, just to speak some light into the community. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to, um, I do ask you to tell people how they can find you, like if you have your website and how they can get in touch with you. And then towards the end of that, if you can just give us a little word of encouragement, something from the, uh, the book of Brian Morris. Well, you can reach me at brian at removethehate.org. Website's www.removethehate.org, pretty simple. Um, I also suggest you go and do your research and look up um, the work that the Stone Mountain Action Coalition is doing, and that's at www.stonemountainaction.org. Those are great places to learn more and become more involved in our progress. I'll tell you the one great thing about this whole exercise is I get to meet great folks like yourselves, and I'm, I'm making lots of acquaintances that I wouldn't otherwise, and that's really been very, I mean, I've just met some awesome people, and that's like the best part about it is that despite all the adversity, I've made some really good friends and people that you know I will be friends with and close to for the rest of my life, most likely, um, and very like-minded like me. Um, and it's just been great. That's, that's a huge, I mean, doing this kind of activity is really just good for your soul. I agree. 
So once again, I'm Tamika Day. I'm the co-host. And my final thought is you don't grow when you're comfortable. This is a very uncomfortable um, type of talk and conversation, but that's the only way that you're able to grow. So once again, I'm Tamika Day. That's how you can find me on all social media platforms. And hashtag successive and I again want to say thank you again, Brian, for coming onto the show. Thank you again for taking the steps that you've been doing to to take action against the Confederate, well, since these monuments that's out there and have them removed so we can actually reflect the true history that's out there. And and one thing I do want to always speak on is that we can't win this fight alone. No matter how angry you get towards anybody else, the one thing we all need, we need is love. And one thing I do preach on is my taking my three L's and live, love, and laugh. We all have to come together. And I think if we all come together, that's how we can truly advance through life and through technology and through finding some love with one another. So one of the things, I, one person I do love, and I, and I tell everybody to go read up on, <laughs> and I love one of his quotes, his name is James, uh, James Baldwin, is love takes off the mask we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. So one of the things I do want, I encourage everybody to do is continue to spread love, you know, hug people as you can, as long as you've been uh, quarantined with them. If not, you know, give them an elbow, fist bump or something. Because <laughs> COVID exists. And just continue to live out your life happy. Yes, live every day at its fullest because we have a lot of people that's been affected by this uh, pandemic that's no longer here. So love your neighbors, spread love, not hate. Thank you again. This is Antonio Hicks, Mr. Escape in the Matrix. And thank you, Brian. Thank you, Tamika. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time.